Let's pray. Daddy, this is your world. Just like we sang, uh, we continue in worship and just acknowledging this is your world and everything in it. And though our rebellion has perverted so much of your good and beautiful creation, it is still a beautiful world. And we long for the day that all things are restored. We long for the new heavens and the new earth. We long for you to reign fully and finally, Jesus. And we acknowledge you are reigning and we want to live in your kingdom as much as we can right now. Because you do reign in us. Those who have chosen to accept you as Lord and Savior, you reign in us. So together as a church, we pray. And I want to pray right now as a church, just in your heart, pray for the neighborhood kids that for almost two years have been on our property almost every single day. Some of you don't know this story, but pray for them. Best as we can tell, none of them are following Jesus. Jesus, we want to be fully present to you. So we open your word now, but I pray that... um, Holy Spirit, you would show each of us how to open up ourselves, our inner life, so that we can have ears to hear and that your word would not fall on deaf ears as it has so often in my life and so often in the history of your people. So help us engage now. Amen. So when you deposit your money in a bank, uh, most of us are confident it'll be there later, right? We're so confident anymore, we don't even need the check. We don't, we don't need our paycheck written to us or given to us. We just directly deposit it. And it doesn't even cross our minds as to whether or not we should trust our bank with this paycheck, right? You see the FDIC, and I, I'm, a, I'm a former econ major, so forgive me finance minor, but the FDIC is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and that agency, that federal agency, gives us reason for confidence up to a point. That agency exists so that your bank, if your bank, maybe it's the Emprise on the corner of 61st and Hydraulic over there, if your bank goes down, your deposits are safe. Up to $250,000 per depositor per insured banking institution. So again, I'm a business major, but bear, bear with me. There's a point to the story. It wasn't always that way. 90 years ago, in October of 1929, the stock market collapse that we now know as Black Thursday hit. And it had kind of been, like all these things do, building over time, unbeknownst to people of the day. But once it hit, shortly after, in the early 30s, bank runs. Bank runs began. 
And this is where people cashed out all their deposits, believing that if they didn't take the money out of the bank now, it wouldn't be there for them later. And so out of this, many, many things changed in our society, one of which was the formation of the FDIC in order to ensure, they were insuring deposits, but what they were really insuring was confidence in the banking system. Because what was once a booming economy, the 1920s were known as the Roaring Twenties, it's just roaring, it was booming, and in a matter of a few years, it was so broken, so suspect, that people were pulling their deposits out of banks. They didn't trust banks. And the decade that followed, as most of you, I'm sure, know, is still known in, the U in U.S. history today as the Great Depression. So that history lesson illustrates one of the key teachings of Jesus in our passage today. Things are not always as they appear. In the late 20s, things appeared to be going great. But it really wasn't. It was in the early 20s, maybe, but in the late 20s, things were not as they appear. And we must learn to see things as they really are. So Jesus is continuing what we've been looking at and we've been calling internal training in Matthew chapter 6 as we work our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And he today is teaching us how to think. So today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So this is kind of one of Jesus' more famous teachings. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. If you've read the Bible or kind of been around church, you've probably heard this. But I want to really make sure we're connecting it to the prior context. We spent three weeks looking at Jesus when he said, uh, when you pray, pray like this. When you give, give like this. When you fast, fast like this. And here's the like this. Here's what he was teaching. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men in order to be seen and praised by men because you won't get a reward. That alone, the praise of men, will be your reward if that's why you do those things. But, he teaches, to do your acts of righteousness in secret, in a way that it doesn't matter to you whether or not people see it. You don't have to like go out of your way to make sure nobody sees you do anything good. It's not what he's saying. But, if you do good things, regardless of who sees, and regardless of what kind of credit you get from your peers, from your fellow man, then your Father, who's in the heavens, he will reward you. And so we read this text, and we normally think about money. And you hear the pastor talk about boxes, and then you hear him talk about online giving, and you hear him, you know, whatever. We, what are the treasures? I think it's more about the rewards that he was just talking about. Because if you value something, you safeguard it. That's what a treasury is. You, that's, where you that's what you keep. It's things that are valuable to you. 
And so not just the money is the treasure, but acts of righteousness, acts to be done by men are stored up on earth, acts to be done and seen just for God and for the, his pleasure in that relationship. Those are treasures stored up in heaven. And so Jesus is teaching us, he, he kind of shifts This is a hinge point in chapter six. He's still doing internal training, but rather than say, okay, training of push-ups, training of sit-ups, training of squats. Sorry, you got the squats. But rather than giving specific exercises, he's talking about your mindset. He's talking about what you think when you're doing these exercises because how we think impacts how we live. So he's teaching us now, beginning in verse 19 through the end of chapter six, how to think when we're doing our internal training. How do we think? And the first way to think that he teaches us is think for the long-term future. Verse, this, I'm getting this from verses 19 through 21. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, short-term future, where thieves break in and steal, short-term future, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where it's not going to go away. Moth and rust do not destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. Right? So on earth, it's destroyed, it's taken. In heaven, it's not destroyed, not taken. Your heart will follow your investment. That's what he says in verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So again, it connects. Jesus isn't giving lots of little ditties. He's giving a whole unified message. Better than you've ever heard on a Sunday morning. I promise you, here or anywhere. You should listen to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. When he gives long discourses, it all ties together. He's brilliant. So, treasures, long-term future, Think about your life. What are you spending your life on? Your acts of righteousness, your money, all of it. He's interested in all of it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it that includes all of you, all of your stuff, all of our time. So think about how you're spending your life because what people say at your funeral is being decided now. And you can do something about it now. Check your pulse. Make sure you're still breathing. If those things are true, you can do something about it now. How? How do we do something about it now? How do we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven? It's by what we look at. I'm just following Jesus' teaching here. Treasure is chosen by beholding. That's a churchy word for looking at something deeply. Beholding is what happens when two people who make the marriage covenant together, when when they're up here and I'm the third wheel doing the ceremony, beholding is what happens between them. They behold each other. They're enamored with each other. And that's how treasure is chosen. So look, again, I'm just getting it from the text, verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's saying what you look at matters. Your treasure is chosen by what you look at and what you intend to look at. You have to choose to look over and over. And if you are looking at the wrong things, it will seem good to you. It will become like treasure to you. And then one day, whether it's in this life or the next, I mean, one day, 
if it's not really good, if it's not really valuable, if it's not a treasure that lasts, if moth and rust destroy, and if thieves can break in and steal it, you're going to see it for what it is one day. Things are not always as they appear to us. But whatever we look at enough, we will treasure. So what are you looking at? Day in, day out, what are you looking at? That will show your treasure. Paul echoed this same principle in 2 Corinthians. He says, we all with unveiled face, when we behold the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed. We, we become like him. We're, we're, we're being changed into his, into his image from one degree to another. So it's this incremental process, but, but it's the same way. It's beholding. Every step is beholding. Every degree. And then in the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 4, he says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what's unseen. For what's seen is temporary, but what's unseen is eternal. Do you see the connection between the rewards and what we fix our eyes on? If we fix our eyes on the praise of men, then when we get it, we're satisfied. That will go away, and you'll need more praise. That will go away, and you'll need more relationship. Jesus is teaching us how to think. We, we've always got to be evaluating what is my present perception and is that in line with what's actually true? God determines truth. He alone is ultimate reality. I have to hear from God to know how to live. I have to hear from God to know what's really real. My feelings don't tell me what's real. My logic, my thoughts don't tell me what's real. God can use those things, but we have to know him. We have to work this out with him. This is the eye being the lamp of the body. So kind of an application, and I know that consistently God works on my heart in this, is don't just read your Bibles, but read them looking for someone to behold. Read them seeking God's face. Here's the third way that Jesus teaches us how to think. Again, this is internal training. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this is the effect of when we treasure things, we cannot help. We're just made to serve, to kind of be a slave to whatever we treasure. And, and that slavery, I mean, it like, it points us in one direction and we can't help but have the opposite uh, commitment in the other direction. It's, it's love and devotion. It's hating and despising, right? Again, Jesus is teaching us how to think. We're to continually test ourselves, check ourselves, and ultimately it's the spirit who's speaking this truth to us. What are we devoted to? Who are we following? If the answer is ourselves, honestly, we should be very suspicious because there's always someone or something. There's, there's spiritual forces at work in our world. So it's not just you, okay? You, you have to, we have to be able to see um, this is of God and this is of the devil. So again, he's teaching us how to think. We need to be aware of our attachments. Our attachments tell us about what we've been beholding in the past. 
This doesn't mean that you can't have money, right? Jesus says money, or it's translated money to us. The, the idea behind the Greek word is wealth. It's, it's stuff. It's money. And, and the Bible is clear that you can have money and live faithfully. The Bible is clear. You can have wealth without wealth having you. Does that make sense? You can have wealth without wealth having you. Abraham is a good example. He had wealth. God gave him wealth, as did others. But Abraham's wealth did not undo him. Just because you can have wealth, though, without it, um, just because you can have wealth doesn't mean that you're not being had by wealth, though, if that, if that makes sense. Because sometime, sometimes it does play a role in undoing people. Like Solomon was undone by his wealth. Judas, you know, when he betrayed Jesus for some silver, uh, the wealth it wasn't the only factor at play, but, like, it's a factor. He, you know, he negotiated a price. So, again, you can have wealth as a faithful follower of Jesus without wealth having you. 1 Timothy 6 helps give some color and some body to this, to this reality. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world, and uh, many stats would say that's most or all of the people in this room. So if you, if you feel like you're not rich in the present world, just remember to compare yourself to the present world and not just your present cul-de-sac. Um, command those who are rich in this present world to not be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth. Paul says wealth is so uncertain, but when you put your hope in God, that's not uncertain. He richly provides everything for our enjoyment. So again, wealth can be enjoyed as part of faithfully following Jesus. He goes on, says, command them to do good. So this is what it looks like if, if you have wealth, but wealth doesn't have you. You're doing good. You're rich in good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will, remember this phrase, lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. So this means if you walk into a nice house and a nice building, um, it's not a Christian thing at all to say, ha, what a waste of money. It's going to be destroyed. It's all temporary. It's not Christian. That's, that's not, um, that doesn't reflect the character of God. But to say something like, thank you, God, I enjoy the beauty of this, and I pray that it would be used for your good purposes. So, at this point, I just want to be clear. Jesus told us a lot of things to do, but he is not advocating work for relationship with God. When Jesus says, store up treasure, when Jesus says, check your eyes, <laughs> Check your eyes. The eyes, the eyes are the lamp of the body. Check them. Um, when he says serve, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is not advocating working for your relationship. He taught, and the whole canon of scripture teaches that we're saved by grace alone. That's God's activity alone. No one earns relationship. Grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. In fact, grace inspires effort. 
So I believe Jesus is advocating here not to work for, but to work on your relationship. Why get married if you're just going to grow distant and cold and increasingly care less and less? Nobody stands on the altar with that vision. Jesus is advocating working on our relationship with God. We are in a covenant relationship with him. So I want to apply this text very specifically because it's easy to read the Bible and think, great, more things to do. Uh, I already don't have enough time to do what I need to do. You can apply this with what you're already doing in your life. And I'm just going to look at one way, uh, your work. So even if you're retired, I assume you're doing something with your life on purpose. So think about that. that. That's your work. As you work, you can store up treasures in heaven. Remember what Paul said. Do good. Do it well. Be rich in good deeds. That means do good things for other people. Be generous and willing to share. Because work is the way that you get anything worth sharing, whether it's skills or more time or money. As you work, you can store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You get it decided internally. Jesus is teaching us how to think. You're going to work anyway, so why not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven? As you work, you can train to see things the way that God does. That crazy coworker, I mean, the nut job, made in the image of God, pursued by God's spirit. The, 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 the boss that's incredibly difficult, who knows what's going on in their home life? Ask God, God, where are you at work around me? As you work, like the days, the days that you don't want to be at work, And believe it or not, I have those days too. You can train to see things as God does. You feel like you just want to go home. And if you're sick, maybe you should, you know. But you can train to see things as God does. Don't just get through it. Get through it being stronger, you know, like internally, having trained. And as you work, you can deepen your servitude of God. Most people will work for money. They give their time to get the money. Colossians 3, we've looked at it before, but Colossians 3 says you're there to serve God. This is all internal training. You're going to go to work tomorrow morning if you work on Mondays, no matter what. So you can, we can all apply this to what we do as we go. It's internal training. And we're not alone. We're not the first generation to have pursued this way of living, this way of training under Jesus William Wilberforce uh, is one of many people's heroes of the Christian faith. Um, He served God in his work. was not a pastor, at least not that I know of. He was a British politician who is most well known for spending his whole political career fighting for the abolition of slavery. He did other things too that were quite notable, but this is how people know him. And today we think slavery, that's terrible. Like, of course, You know, like, of course you'd fight against slavery. But that's not the way that the world saw it at that time. Right? Things are not always as they appear to us. Wilberforce saw slavery the way that God did, and he had to fight his whole career. 
It wasn't until like three days before he died, eight years after he retired, he had to step down from his you know, political position that slavery was finally abolished. He had conflict with people over years. He had to keep continually seeing things as God does, and he had to relate to people who didn't see it at all that way. He fought sickness, but he did not live for the history books. He lived for the heavenly treasures. And just so you know, the gospel says the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is available to you. If you have repented and believe, or if today you repent and trust Jesus, that same power that Wilberforce lived in, that he learned to live in, that we all, that he lived in imperfectly, and that we all live in imperfectly, but that we can grow to live more and more in that power, that same power is available to you. And that power comes on the other side of weakness. Jesus served his father to the point of death. Wilberforce was physically weak, unable to accomplish the work during his career. But it is God's power that works through weakness. And you can learn to live there too. We all can. And it's only in God's power that we can do what Jesus is teaching us to do. To see what's actually valuable. To have those kind of eyes. To store up treasures and in doing so, serve our Lord. So let's pray together. Talk to God about your life. And just ask, ask God's spirit to show you what have you been focused on? What have you been beholding? He speaks clearly and he speaks in love. If you've been beholding Christ and you've been doing well, praise God. You're allowed to do well. But don't start trusting in yourself or you're going to crash way harder than the market did in 1929. We all need to look to Jesus. So if you're doing well, look to Jesus. If you're not doing well, look to Jesus. Behold him. And our worship, our weekly gathering, it's part of our training regimen. So use this prayer time. Look to Jesus. Train to thank as Jesus has taught us to thank.